Today's edition of the podcast is brought to you by CoachMe Plus. CoachMe Plus is the leader in athlete management software and a product that I've been lucky enough to be using for a little over a year now. Only rivaled by the impeccable customer service that Kevin and his staff provides, CoachMe Plus's ability to constantly be amoeba-like in their ability to mold and, and matriculate what you're trying to get across and bring together is, is absolutely fantastic. Their constant pursuit of better ways and better methods and, and innovations and progress to their own product is absolutely fantastic. Go over to CoachMePlus.com. Check out what they got, guys. It's, uh, it's something that I guarantee you won't be disappointed with. Hello and welcome to the podcast. Guys, today we've got an awesome talk with Carvajal Performances, George Carvajal. We're going to get into all sorts of cool things, but one thing that's going to be different is we're going to talk surfing, uh, a different sport, a different avenue, uh, and how George works with the athletes is really looking at the differences in the sport and how he works with these athletes. So that was fascinating to me. And then he gets into some self-reflection and what brought him into doing a bunch of more decelerative work with his athletes. Uh, he, He works with a bunch of surfers and he also works with a bunch of tactical people, and team sport athletes. So gets into this self-reflection as to why he ended up going down this path and then what he's now doing with the... Thank you so much for being with us today, my friend. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me, Jay. Hey, so, you know, let's real quick just give an introduction, tell people a little bit of your story, and we'll go from there, brother. Yeah, so my story is kind of very traditional, I guess, my route. Um... You know, I was a high school athlete. I played uh, high school football as a quarterback. I uh, got recruited as a defensive back because I didn't have the requisite height. Uh, I ended up uh, getting a couple of offers for Division two and Division three schools. And I had always dreamed of walking on at Florida. You know, I wanted to play at, at, at UF. Um, and that's what I did. I ended up uh, as a walk-on athlete and uh, playing on special teams, you know, the kamikaze. And what happened was, you know, if you play special teams, the only way to really play on a scout team, special teams, is to be a kamikaze. You have to kind of sacrifice your body. And so what happened was I had four concussions over a 15-month period, which essentially ended my college career. And then I had, um, once you are no longer part of that team, you can't use the facilities. As you know, you can't you know, use the dining hall. And the strength coach at the time said, you know, you spent all your time here anyway. Why don't you take a class for credit, uh, which I did, which was, I think it was Student Strength and Conditioning 101, basically. And that kind of opened my eyes a little bit uh, to the world of strength and conditioning. And then I took an internship. It was really a, uh, an exchange program in Moscow that really kind of introduced me to what strength and conditioning was really all about. I thought I knew, but I really didn't know anything. And being over there, uh, you, you got to see the, you know, the rusty weights. It wasn't really about uh, the weights or the facility. It was really about the programming. That's where I really learned a little bit more about programming. Uh, came back after about six months, uh, took an internship at Florida, took a GA position at Florida, left there, took a GA position at Nebraska, uh, did an internship at the U.S. Olympic Training Center in Lake Placid, and uh, kind of knew where I wanted to do, and I really wanted to go on my own. I really wanted to find out if I could take an athlete from A through Z basically by myself. And I challenged myself to do so. And, you know, like 
as they say, the rest is kind of history. That's awesome. So a Florida guy moved up to upstate New York. Did you have to do a winter at Lake Placid? That was brutal. I bet. Uh, I, I'm yeah. from Rochester, so I could. Yeah, I that was. You know, I've, I've been a Florida guy all my life and kind of by coastal, really, between here in California. But uh, I've never experienced that kind of winter before. Um, I've never experienced that kind of uh, wind. The wind just cuts right through you. Oh, yeah. I, it was very uncomfortable. But um, <laughs> yeah, I, I knew I couldn't live there. Uh, let's put it this way. I, I just I knew that. And that's what I had a couple of offers in schools that were uh, the Northeast. And I knew. Uh, there's no way, there's just no way I'd, I'd probably leave. So I, the best option was, you know, warm climate. Yeah. Climate. Well, it's funny cause everybody that was in town in, in August or July, excuse me, her buddy's great thoughts of, uh, the area that I grew up in. It's, right. Uh, yeah. Once, once you go warm, it's hard to go back up there. I'll it is. It is. It's, it's tough on the bones. Yeah. Well, especially for a guy who's a, I mean, a, a surfer and a guy who loves the water. So. Let's get into that. What what drew you there? Let's talk about your work there and move through that way. Yeah, I I, um, I remember going to the beach and my father uh, went into a Seven Eleven and he picked up a Styrofoam uh, box. Basically, it was just a kind of a box, really a cooler to put some drinks in. And he picked up a Styrofoam surfboard, about maybe a three or four foot surfboard. Uh, we went out to the beach and. Uh, you know, obviously, styrofoam surfboards isn't like the best thing, but at least got me uh, got me in the water. And somebody came over and said, "Hey, you know, he seems to have a knack for it, but you're on the wrong board. You need a real board." And so he lent me a board. It was a small board, and uh, I got up on the first wave. I rode, and the feeling uh, I never forgot. It's a feeling once you you stand up on a wave, uh, you just never forget that feeling. And it's a feeling I've been chasing for 40 years. Uh, essentially, that's how long I've been surfing now. And it really was just a, a love of the ocean. Uh, it's a meditative quality. I love the aspect of uh, you know, paddling and just being out there by myself sometimes. Most of the time, I surf by myself. And then little by little, that just ended up, you know, ended up helping one guy here and one guy there. And before I knew it, I was, I was you know, the surf performance coach. And I that's not something I planned. It didn't work on it. Uh, it just kind of materialized, really. Yes, and a guy who cut his teeth in Russia, how now do we take what we learned out there and take it to something that they probably don't get to see very often, which is an no, athlete I, in, the, in the winter? Yeah, it's, it's you know, I, I learned uh, the whole concept of, of data and, and numbers and uh, things like that. And it, I use three things now which I kind of learned there. I didn't really have some of this, but um, I use time motion analysis and video. I use GPS and I use heart rate. Uh, the time motion for me is really about biomechanics, looking at how someone surfs. And, uh, the, the dirty little secret in surfing is that everybody has knee pain. Uh, not necessarily knee injuries, but knee pain. And that's because when you surf, if you serve regular foot, that means your left foot as you pop up goes forward and your other foot goes back, you start getting very, very tight in the tissues of the hip because you lose external hip uh, mobility and you lose hip abduction. Uh, so you, you stay very tight in those tissues. And what happens is little by little, the biomechanics of just that uh, gross movement starts uh, beating up the knees. Um, I have torn meniscus. I surf with a meniscus brace. I've seen 
bunch of guys do it. Uh, it's a kind of a dirty little secret in the uh, the sport. Guys that uh, surf professionally, they all have kind of knee pain, not necessarily, again, knee injuries, but they all have some kind of uh, dysfunction. And so that's what I use the video for in the time motion analysis. Look at the biomechanics of what's going on and try and determine if, if there's a problem there. And then if there's a pathology, then I refer out. That's not what I do. But my job is to strengthen the, the joints and uh, make the tissues more tolerable. Uh, the GPS really was really brand new. Um, that didn't really exist back then. But I, I learned the concept of time motion or time distance and speed, which is uh, what the GPS gives me uh, through Rip Curl's watch. Uh, you know, the typical distance surfing could be a thousand uh, meters. Um, typical heart rates are 121 to 140, 140 to 160. The average is about 140. So I know that you need to have a robust aerobic system, which is what nobody has when they start surfing. And it's the number one focus for me when I get somebody. Uh, the GPS also gives me speed. You know, these guys could be going up to, uh, you know, 45. Sometimes the average speed is somewhere between 2 and 33 uh, kilometers per hour. It could be up to 45 if you're on a big wave. So what I really learned over there is getting all that information uh, and kind of putting it together. And I like to use the term that uh, Matt Jordan from uh, the Canadian Sports Institute uh, uses, which is uh, know what matters, measure what matters, and then change what matters. Uh, I don't want you just data. Uh, that data for me is information, and that information has to be actionable. If I can't take action on it, it's noise. And so I want to use that stuff not because it's fancy, but because it gives me numbers that I can turn into information that I can turn into then a training program, and hopefully you know a win. Uh, if if it's a you know, a surf contest, if it's a big wave surfer, then turn that into information that gives them the best chance possible at not not getting crushed by a you know four story building. Yeah. So let's piggyback on one thing you just said. You know both of us having similar connections. The aerobic talk is obviously something that we've heard from many people. How differently does the aerobic training for a surfer work as say opposed to like how you would do for a soccer or a basketball player? Uh, great question because 60% of surfing is paddling, right? It's a lot for body. And um, in fact, if you see people start the sport and kind of uh, lose interest really quickly, one of the reasons I notice is that they have just a poor aerobic system. They, if you can't paddle out to the waves, you can't catch the wave. It's really that simple. And if you can't catch repeated waves in a contest, you're going to lose. It's not a matter of where there's a chance. You're going to lose. The, the individual catches the more waves and gets the most scores wins. So, you know, understanding that 60% of surfing is, you know, uh, basically paddling out with an average heart rate of 139, I know by using that GPS and using that heart rate monitor that if I start seeing guys at 85%, and those, those values, by the way, are somewhere between four, 54 and I think it's 75% max heart rate. So when I start seeing someone at the 85% uh, heart rate, I know that they don't have the physical capacity to continue to surf. And so uh, I know they haven't been following the program. It's that simple. Because uh, most of the stuff I do is remotely, but uh, we're very careful in how we program. So kind of long story or long-winded answer to your question is it's a little different. Um, we do build uh, the aerobic capacity. Uh, I do it, you know, obviously by paddling. 
but we'll do ergometers, we'll do bikes, we'll do whatever it is that makes them comfortable in order to be uh, compliant. Uh, if somebody doesn't like to ride the bike, then obviously we don't make them ride the bike. You can only paddle for so long. We do have endurance training where we do uh, paddling from buoy to buoy, uh, repeat sprints basically. It's, it's, it's what the soccer team would do except that it's in the water. And not a lot of scientific literature on surfing. The, the very few stuff that, that really exists is upper body swimming ergometers as applied to surfers from swimming and lifesaving. And so there's, enough, there's really not a lot of stuff out there, Jay, that you can look at and say, hey, I'm, I'm going to follow this template because it doesn't exist. So in many ways, you're, you're designing and, and uh, creating a template that may or may not work. And you don't know until probably the next season when you look back at your numbers and, again, the information and the data. Uh, you cut the noise away and what's left and you start training basically to those numbers. So it's a little bit different. But in the end, uh, one of my goals, and it's my goal with my NFL guys, it's my goal with my special operation guys, is to build a, as robust an aerobic system as I possibly can. You know everything now. It's, it's, you know, it's high interval training, which is great. But to recover from those bouts of high intensity, you better have a good, robust aerobic system. Oh, yeah. No doubt. It's, I'm sure we've heard Val say that a billion times. A few times. We, yeah, when it comes to those conversations. A few times. So then piggybacking in with the land athletes as well, one thing that we, we have to talk about is decelerative work, deceleration training. Right, right. So let's, let's touch on that. Let's, let's look at that. I think it would be really neat to talk about that with the guys in the water too. Um, but how that, if there is like a crossover between the two and then maybe what is the differences that you would do with your you know, your land mammals versus your aquatic athletes. Yeah, and that, what, how that started for me was um, the, the NFL uh, collective bargaining agreement changed in 2011, which changed essentially the amount of time that you had to prepare an athlete offseason. And so what you did is you created this smaller box from the box that you originally had, and you eliminated some stuff and you added some stuff. And I had, I think I had two guys that had knee injuries. Uh, at the very same time, I had uh, two special operators that had blown ACLs too. And so I went back and I started to look at my program and tried to find out, because I felt terrible. You know, is that something that I did? It was, was it related to the programming? And so I did a Q&A in my programming and I started to kind of see something, um, a, a de-emphasis, if you will, on a particular part of programming. And uh, I know you've had Cal Dietz on it. And, uh, you know, obviously I'm a fan and I use the triphasic system, but you know, there's something in that that Cal said, which was every dynamic movement um, begins with an eccentric muscle action. And so I was looking at eccentric strength and a couple different things. And I realized it just wasn't an emphasis on my program. And I thought, what if that is the problem? What if that is that, you know, the elephant in the room? So I started to basically implement uh, more eccentric strength uh, via the triphasic system, right? A two-week block of just eccentric strength, uh, just like Cal uses, you know, compound exercises, uh, no greater than 85%, you know, spot the slow tempos, the tempos at 50x, 5 on the eccentric, 0 on the isometric, and the uh, exploding on the concentric. Uh, same thing what I did with the special operators and really same thing I did with surfers. And a couple things started to happen is one is I have not had a knee injury in any of those guys since uh, 2012. That's not coincidence. I haven't done anything else different. 
Uh, I don't know that they've done anything different. We've been together for those amount of years. And I also noticed that there was guys with knee pain that surf regularly. I, I surf regular foot. Um, a goofy foot is if you pop on the board and your right foot goes forward, you would have then left knee pain. Those guys didn't have any knee pain. And it's almost like we, we started to build robustness, not just in the, the, the joints, but robustness in the tissues, a greater tolerance, if you will. And so that's sort of kind of how I, I started to go on this tangent on deceleration. And, and let's be honest, you can't talk about deceleration, Jay, and you know this, without talking about it in a continuum, right? There's acceleration, there's deceleration, and there's that reacceleration. primarily those first few steps right out of, out of deceleration. And so you can't just say, okay, well, let's just do deceleration work. What, what I, and that's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is I looked at my program and I realized that that component, uh, I just didn't emphasize. My cueing was different. Um, and to give you an example, in the off-season, early off-season, once we go through our continuum of uh, our plyos are jumping in place, jumping for distance, jumping on a box, and then jumping off a box. The cue for jumping on a box early in the off-season is stick to landing. And that's a cue my guys know. They, they look back and they know I'm going to stick to landing. As we progress to that special preparation in the beginning of the preseason, the cueing is now explode. But I want them to focus on the landing mechanics too. So I changed a lot of the stuff I did. I did follow a lot of Cal's work. But really, I also changed my cueing and how I uh, use the verbiage for cueing on different aspects of the year so that they – we're able to to understand that that was a focus, that deceleration was important, landing mechanics was important, and eccentric strength was important. So not just that I added those things. I really had it in there. I just focus and reemphasize it. And it's helped uh, the special operators. Uh, special operators get uh, hurt basically stepping off a Humvee. This is how these guys, you know, I thought I had these guys prepared, but one of the things that you and I can't really take care of is chaos. Uh, chaos just comes in and unwinds everything that you've kind of put together. So it's really about developing a robust athlete that can tolerate uh, all these forces uh, through the addition or the reemphasizing really of deceleration work. That's basically how it started for me. That's awesome. And you think that on top of the, the programming changes that the queuing has been what's had an extremely profound effect on it? Huge. Uh, huge because I know that again in the early off season when I started to say stick to landing, uh, guys that would normally you know doing jumps for distance whether it be a broad jump or you know uh, hurdles whatever they would just jump and now the uh, that cueing forced them to stop, look at their landing mechanics, make sure they were not in valgus, and continue the program until we started to explode on boxes or do death jumps uh, where you know explode was the cue. But they did not forget that the whole concept was we're still trying to protect the joint, so stick to landing. Uh, it was huge. Absolutely changed everything for me. Cueing is huge. Yeah, and it's, I think that what's really valuable in that is the fact that it's, it's singular in nature. And it's, you know, Cal talks about it and Neil talked about it last week where – if you give them one thing to think about, it's like something like 70% compliance. I think this is like the John Bernardi, the precision nutrition stuff. Correct. Where it's like one thing, 70%. Two things, it's like down near 50. Three things, you might as well buy a lotto ticket. Absolutely correct. Yeah, and it's how simple that is 
Are there any other examples that you could give where you found these things have had carryover where these simple cues have changed your programming and helped any of these athletes? Um, really, it started with those, and it was I was I was preparing a, uh, a presentation for Andrew Hootie at the Midway Sports Mid, uh, Midwest Sports Performance Conference, and it was on uh, the dirty little secret in sports performance, which was deceleration, and a lot of it was going back to Brett Bartholomew, right? Brett and I are, uh, are friends, and I, I love his work because he puts this huge emphasis on cueing. And so does uh, Nick Winkleman and a couple of – Sean Mishka, uh, Lauren Landau. These are guys that, that um, you know, I follow and that we're friends and we, we'll talk about some of this stuff. It, it's really about and, – and you just hit it, Jay, is this individualization of uh, a, a word, if you will. And for me, that word was, you know, stick to landing. I used, I must have tried out 30 different phrases and nothing seemed to work. And uh, I think it was Sean, I can't remember who it was, that just said, hey, cut it down to maybe two or three words and see what happens. I was really having a conversation. And like the Berardi model, that was at like 5%. These guys weren't remembering that. So as I, I kind of reduced that and just hit stick to landing, um, Again, just that's just part of the program, but it really started to work. Guys started to remember that. I did not see Valgus. We took video. We did motion analysis. It was huge. So I go back to that because it's really the, the simplest example I can use of having this absolutely humongous effect on everything else that you did. The guys might have um, progressed through plyos and reactive agility, but they never forgot that. They always forgot that the the, the deceleration component of – Stop and go, uh, stop and react. The most important part was you have to hit the brakes first, and then you can go and uh, reaccelerate. That was, it's uh, for me. It was it changed my program completely. It really did. Oh, that's fantastic. Well, then let's jump back a little bit here more here and uh, and, and talk about that time motion stuff that you do with the cameras and the biomechanics. Mm -hmm. How does that affect programming, and uh, how does that mix in with both this and then the aerobic stuff that you were talking about prior. Right. So the, the, you know, the time motion and the video analysis, again, it, it shows that uh, a good example, again, going back to um, surfing, that 60% of surfing is paddling. Uh, if you didn't know that, you figure, well, it's just an aerobic sport and uh, you spend a certain amount of time surfing the wave. It's, it's a surfing sport. It's, it's really a paddling sport is what it is because you have to get past the white water, past where the, the, the waves break. You start to see really what I use it for and what I, I think it really helps me is biomechanics, is seeing what kind of biomechanics somebody has paddling. You know, you're in a hyperextended state, so thoracic mobility is absolutely critical and huge. It is for all sports, uh, absolutely critical for a surfer, as, as is hip mobility, the two things that we work with. The two things that um, I don't need to do that much time motion analysis anymore uh, unless it's someone new, because I know exactly what I'm going to get. I'm going to correct hip mobility, and I'm going to correct uh, thoracic mobility on everybody, including myself, because I know what it is. You're going to be uh, that 60% paddling time. You're going to be in, in a hyperextended state, and uh, if you don't have endurance, your muscles start screaming out, and uh, you're done. Uh, so if you're a recreational surfer, you're done in 30 minutes. If you're a competitive surfer, you're going to lose, and if you're a big wave surfer, you're going to get crushed under the weight of a four-story building, and then good luck with that. 
So that really for me is understanding the biomechanics of surfing, the biomechanics of movement. Uh, I use the term movement fidelity. I want someone to be and to have and to continue to have quality of movement in a fatigued state. I don't care if you're a surfer, if you're rucking with a 70-pound pack as a special operator or you're a defensive back you know, with two minutes to go in the fourth quarter. Everybody has to have that movement quality and hopefully um, not break down under the guise of fatigue. That's huge and that's, you know, that's sports and that's performance and that's what we, you and I do. Uh, it's, so that's basically a you know, kind of long-winded story and uh, the time motion and what I use it for. And Again, I want information. I don't want noise and sometimes it gives me a lot of noise. Uh, the distance, I may not be able to do a lot of that st- stuff with the distance. But the biomechanics and the speed and, again, heart rate and stuff like that, it's, it's, uh, it's invaluable. No, that's awesome. So are there, have there ever been any examples of things that you were looking at that turned out to be noise that you thought were shining lights on things? Yeah, so I thought the, one of the things that the GPS catches is the number of waves caught, right? And so obviously if you're in a heat where you're uh, surfing against another individual, the, the, the more waves you catch, the better chance you have of you know, getting a better score. But it didn't really do anything for me as far as programming. And I kept looking at it, and I probably sat on some data for a year. Uh, and somebody said, hey, so what does all that mean? And I said, I have no idea. And when I actually started to put it together, I realized it, there was no actionable. It, it was information. Uh, it was data. But there wasn't anything actionable on it. Um, they didn't catch any waves because there were no waves. And so that's the thing with surfing is that there's an environmental component. You know, if you get a wave every nine seconds, that's a good day. But you may be out there for, you know, 20 minutes and your sets are coming every five or seven minutes. So where you surf these heats around the world is going to affect how many waves you catch. So that was a piece of information that I, again, became noise. I tried to do something with it. There was no actionable item. Uh action with it and I basically just put it to the side. I still use it. I kind of want to see how many waves guys catch, but it can't, it doesn't turn into anything in reference to program design for me. No. And you know what? That's an awesome spot to put it right there is so many people because data is so sexy right now. Absolutely. Yeah. It takes so much stuff and they just look at it and they're like, huh? But if you can't do anything with it, it's best to just stop taking it. And it's I, noise. Yeah, that's, that is a fantastic point and a fantastic spot to end an awesome talk. George, thank you so much, man. This is killer. And it's awesome. a great insight to really a realm of sport that I think a lot of coaches may not really understand but can help them quite a bit. It's, uh, this is sweet, man. Thank you so much. You got to thank you, Jay. And, yeah. you know, one of the things I love about your, um, about your podcast, I know we talked a little bit about it, was that uh, you know, it's not the script right? It's a conversation. I think, and I've told you that the, the magic happens in the conversations and I appreciate that. I, I think there's magic in every single podcast I've heard. So thank you. Well, thanks, man. I appreciate that. And we'll be in touch real soon, brother. Thank you. You got it. Thank you. <clears throat> and a huge thanks again to Carvajal Performances, George Carvajal, for taking the time to sit down and talk with us today. An obvious, completely different sport with some awesome uh, characteristics to it that you can look at how George identifies things to train and how he monitors his athletes and take and and move into team sport athletes. 
looking for things that are unique and, and building on them. I think that's absolutely fascinating. And again, another awesome example of a coach doing some self-reflection to then improve what he's doing or she's doing for their athletes and improve themselves professionally. Tons of great gems in this talk, guys. Absolutely awesome nuggets of information. Can't, can't thank George enough. And I hope you guys enjoyed the talk as much as I did. And if you did, please share it in the social media outlet of your choice. We're just trying to keep discussions moving, conversations going, and questions being asked, guys. So thank you for all you do for us here at Central Virginia Sport Performance. We will be back next week with another awesome guest. We will see you then.